invite you to turn your Bibles, if you would like, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2. And this morning, I would like to examine together the first three verses. But the greatest burden I have this morning, because I believe it's the Apostle Peter and ultimately the Holy Spirit's burden when he originally wrote this letter, is for a certain impact to be made upon our hearts. Yes, we need to know certain facts, of course. But he writes in such a way in Second Peter chapter 2 that the Apostle Peter, shortly before he is about to die, is clearly burdened. And he writes in such a way as not merely to inform the heads of those to whom he is writing. He's going right for the heart. He wants there to be a massive earthquake, a shift in the hearts of those to whom he's writing, that they would be awakened. And so this morning we'll be reading quite a bit of scripture, but I would like to read the entirety of chapter 2. But before I do, let, let me pause and pray. God, we pause one more time simply to affirm what we just sang that we humbly ask that even as your word is read and even as a man preaches, that in your mercy and the mystery of your ways, your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that ultimately we're not hearing the voice of a man, but we hear the will and the word of Christ for his church. So speak now as we come as your servants listen, in Jesus' name, amen. Beginning in verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves, many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of all the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he reduced righteous, rescued rather, righteous lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, 
enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They, having gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy command it handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Amen. This is the word of the Holy Spirit of God. And that is what we learned last Sunday morning. At the close of chapter 1, we examined together the nature of Holy Scripture, that it is inerrant, it is inspired, that no Scripture, no prophecy of Scripture, or Scripture, any Scripture at all, was ever a matter of one man's will. But, verse 21, men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. The Apostle Peter, shortly before he is going to die, he is deeply burdened for those believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire who are being subjected to an onslaught of false teachers. They are being led astray, and chief among their lies is a downplaying of the glorious coming and return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and along with that, an abuse and a twisting of the grace of the Lord Jesus in the gospel to somehow mean that Christianity, per se, is primarily for you and so that you can have uh, just a little bit better life. And grace means that you don't have to worry about pleasing the Lord and you can just live how you want. After all, it's all grace. This is the teaching of the false teachers. And Peter is writing to stir these believers up to love for the Lord Jesus, that they might know the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus in their walking with the Lord and seeking to please him. To live a godly life. These believers are being subjected to a subversive attack by the evil one, by Satan. And that is always his way. Is to flood the church with men and women who seem nice and seem good. Who use the name Jesus or Christ. Refer to the Bible pick and choose among various biblical truths and yet lead whole generations into error. If you think that's an overstatement, consider the history of New Hampshire, that it has been in bondage practically to to the false teaching of the Roman Catholic Church. And yes, there are those among Roman Catholic parishes where I believe have a sincere and simple, earnest faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is the Roman Catholic Church really that bad? I mean, well, if by it you mean that it holds back from lost sinners the only way by which they can be saved, and if you mean that they blaspheme God and Christ by raising Mary to a level of devotion, yes. 
We love our Roman Catholic friends and neighbors. But entire generations of men and women here in New Hampshire have been in bondage to a system of works righteousness. And many of them, how many of them do you know, think that because just some priest sprinkled some water on them, they're good. Maybe they go to Mass once a year, but they're good. And in fact, they're going to hell. That's just Roman Catholicism. Think of liberal Protestantism. How many of the white, beautiful churches around New England with a steeple have out in front of them a rainbow flag using the name of God even, using the name of Jesus as somehow supporting that which the Bible clearly teaches is sin and in fact an abomination to God. People don't know, people out there They just see all these cute little white New England churches. And so they go to them and they expect that there they're going to learn about God or about Jesus. And then even there you go on to your modern evangelical churches. And there it's actually rather difficult these days to find a man or a woman who will simply read the Bible and explain it to you. They'll pick pieces here and there and we'll see this more in a few moments they'll put something together they'll share with you something very moving but if you reflect back over weeks and months and years you think actually you know what I don't know that I've actually learned much about the Bible this is the day and age in which we live it was not only in the time of Peter The scriptures are the holy, inerrant, inspired word of God. And Peter is at pains to remind the believers of the treasure that we have and the authority that we have in the revealed word of God to keep us from going after false ways and false teachers. It's not random that Peter places and ultimately the Holy Spirit places in chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 this beautiful declaration about the Bible God's word it's not an accident and it's not random it's there because at the root of all deviations from biblical Christianity at the root of all deviations from godly living at the root and bottom of it always 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 is a departing from the clear inerrant inspired infallible word of God always you work it back to its root the root of any deviation in teaching about the gospel about God about Christ about the church about living always works its way back to Somewhere, some teacher, some person who strayed from what is written. And most often, those who deviate from godliness, even while professing to be Christians, were led to that position by false teachers, false pastors. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people. He's thinking about Israel's history in the past, recorded in the Old Testament, just as there will also be false teachers among you. These are false teachers. These are false pastors. And in these first three verses of chapter 2, Peter provides a exposure of the characteristics of these false teachers and this morning we are going to look at each characteristic quickly towards the latter part of this message so we're going Peter's going to describe for us what these false teachers are like because he wants earnest Christians humble believers to be on the alert now I know our tendency is life is hard we all got lots of issues and difficulties in our life. Life is hard. We got lots of things we have to concern ourselves about. And I'm coming to church, and I'm thinking that I need to hear something about something related to one of those pressing needs in my life. And I come to church, and the Holy Spirit on this particular day has the pastor teaching about false teachers. And you may be here this morning thinking, 
I'm just not sure that's really what I need to hear. You need to hear it. Because this isn't the only place. This is one of numerous times in the New Testament that the men appointed by your Lord and Savior carried along by the Holy Spirit write down the most severe warnings to Christ's people to be on the alert. I know life is hard. I know it's hard being a Christian. But dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the Spirit of God wants us to be on the alert. He's trying to get a hold of our attention. So yes, we're going to describe, we're going to look quickly in a few moments at the characteristics of a false teacher. But I read the entirety of chapter 2 because unless you're dead, that got your attention. I mean, hell was spoken of. These false teachers were called mists, stains, blemishes. The most vitriolic language that Peter could draw upon was used to describe these false teachers that had infiltrated the church. Maybe we are even tempted to think, Peter, that's, that's a bit strong. You're calling these pastors, these teachers, stains and blemishes? Yes. And remember, it's ultimately not Peter. The Holy Spirit of God is calling false teachers by these names. That ought to get your attention. And sadly, in our day, there is wholesale, large-scale, a simple unwillingness among professing evangelicals to even entertain that such people actually exist. We have so imbibed the spirit of our age. We so have emphasized being tolerant and gracious and kind. And I think some of it is whatever. We don't want to be associated with that fundamentalism of the early part of last century and those battling fundamentalists. And we're nice now and we love everybody now. And we, we certainly wouldn't say anything unkind about anybody. Well, then you, if you, that's your position, you have just judged the Peter and the Holy Spirit as being unkind. I don't think you want to do that. I don't. We need to listen to this. And that's why I read the entirety of chapter 2. is because more than, you're probably not going to remember the list of certain characteristics that we're going to go to. But if you get nothing more this morning than this, you dear sheep and lamb of Jesus Christ, purchased with his blood, your God, your Lord and Savior, and his spirit who dwells within you, gives you in his word a warning that you are to stay away from these false teachers. You are not to be just kind of neutral, kind, tolerant. It's not a little deal. It is a big deal. The most scathing language in Scripture is reserved for false prophets, false teachers. And they're not far off somewhere. We'll see this in a moment. Peter says... There will also be false teachers where? Where are they? Where are they? Among you. They're not way over somewhere. They're not just out in California or down in Texas, Oklahoma, wherever the state you think the false teachers are found. They're among us. They're here. We live among them. They live among us. Can it be, you say? It's what the Holy Spirit says. They are among us. It doesn't mean I want you like looking around this morning at each one of you like which one. But we need to take in. These are not theoretical men and women. False teachers will be among you. It's a certainty. And Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God reserves the most severe language for these false prophets and false teachers. In chapter 2, verse 1, Peter begins by referencing this reality in Israel's history. And if you read the Old Testament, yes, there's wonderful words of comfort there in the Psalms and 
the promises of God. But we know if you're reading through your Old Testament, it gets rather discouraging at times because Israel, the people of God, recipients of the promises of God, just blow it. Again and again and again and again. And finally, they are judged by God. They have a promise of a future restoration. But to this day, there is a hardening upon them. And at the heart of their departure from the ways of God, at the root of it, was a deviation from Scripture led by false prophets. And there's many passages we could go to, but there is one, pro- one passage in Jeremiah 23 that I'm going to read at length because this is what Peter is referring to. When he says, but false prophets also arose among the people, what's he talking about? Who are these false prophets and what does God consider them to be like? I'm going to read now Jeremiah chapter 23. And I'm reading it again with the intent that you let your heart be impacted. Don't shy away from the strong language. Don't gloss over it. Take it in. This is what God describes these false teachers to be. Through Jeremiah, God said in Jeremiah 23, verse 9, As for the prophets, my heart is broken within me. My bones tremble. I've become like a drunken man. This was, this was Jeremiah. He was sick because of the, the number of false prophets in his day misleading the people. Verse 10, the land of Israel and Judah is full of adulterers. The land mourns because of the curse. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up. Their course is also evil. Their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are polluted. Pause there. The prophets and the priests were the teachers of Israel. They were the ones who were supposed to teach the word accurately. And they were polluted. Even in my house, God says, I have found their wickedness. Therefore, verse 12, their way will be like slippery paths to them. They'll be driven away into gloom and fall down in it. I will bring calamity upon them the year of their punishment. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. They strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them become to me like Sodom and their inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say, Calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of deception of their own heart? 
who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What is straw having common with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declared the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor did they furnish this people with the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Now, when this people or the prophet or a priest ask you, saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? Then you shall say to them, what oracle? The Lord declares, I will abandon you. Then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will bring punishment upon that man and his household. Thus each will each of you say to his neighbor and to his brother, what has the Lord answered or what has the Lord spoken? For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord because every man's own word will become the oracle And you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you will say to that prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? For if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely thus says the Lord, because you have said this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent to you saying, you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. I will, therefore, behold, I will surely forget you and cast you away from my presence, along with the city which I gave you and your forefathers. I will put an everlasting reproach on you, everlasting humiliation, which will not be forgotten. That text scares me to death. We don't have time to go through all the various aspects, but in short, what was happening in Jeremiah's day, listen very carefully, is exactly what is happening in our day in evangelicalism. These prophets claim to be speaking in the name of God. They claim to have a oracle, a word from the Lord They even selected various pieces. They even plagiarized. You see that? God says they take, steal my words from each other. Plagiarism is rampant. Where these days pastors are no longer studying the word of God. They're too busy. And so they just download a sermon outline and stand up in front of the people and give it. They are hucksters. They are shams. And they are feeding the people with something that was impressed upon their heart, a dream they had, a vision they have for the church. And they use bits and pieces of Scripture, but at the end of the day, they do not read and explain and exhort with the full, whole counsel of the revealed, inerrant, infallible, inspired word of the living God. And God does not think that is okay. The most severe language in Scripture, apart from condemnation on Satan and his demons, is reserved for false teachers. And God, of course, is warning them. But in 2 Peter, Peter is writing to believers like you and like me. And he's making allusion to this Israel's history and the inference is if we don't wake up and take heed to what the spirit is saying a church or even a region can essentially repeat 
the history of Israel and Judah. You're lazy lazy about false teaching. You're too troubled to be concerned about it. You think it's unkind to call them what Scripture calls them. You lack the courage or the will or the fortitude to make a decision for Christ and you idly sit by week after week after week and you let this dribble come across into your ears, into the ears of others that is passing for a message or a sermon. And the consequences will be not only judgment on that false teacher, not only rebuke on you, but you may actually participate in an entire church or region experiencing the history of Israel and Judah. Does not Jesus say to the church in Laodicea, repent or else? And look at New Hampshire, where once there were towns filled with churches where the Bible really was read, really explained. There there were no glory days, but if you look in the 1700s and 1800s in the history of New Hampshire, even in the early 1900s, you had a pretty good opportunity to go to a Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church somewhere near you. We are on a trajectory where If we don't wake up and start to show some fortitude and demand on the authority of the word of God that those who stand before us read to us, teach us, explain to us, and exhort to us with the Bible, we will give our children and our grandchildren over to a heritage of having no word of God. That is the judgment at the end of Jeremiah 23. God, they abuse his word so much that finally, after generations, God takes his word. There could not be more strong, passionate language than is recorded in Scripture warning those who love God, fear God, love Christ, to be aware of Satan's ploys in sending in false teachers, false pastors. And again, if nothing else this morning, I, I, this is a burden of my heart, I have to say. I was born here. I grew up here. By God's grace, mercy, I could have been one of these false teachers. And by God's grace, I still could be. I mean, not by God's grace, but God forbid is what I meant to say. I believe, I've prayed that God would take my life before I would lead God's people astray and straying from his word. Well, how do I stay safe then? I just read the Bible. Some of you come maybe Sunday and stark to you, wow, we just read Psalm, like a lot of that Psalm. And wow, we just read Second Peter, a whole chapter. Wow, we just read Jeremiah 23. It's getting a little warm and sticky in here. And yes, you need the Bible more than you need lunch, more than you need a cool room. You need the word of God. And I have to read it to you. And I have to explain it to you because you have a Lord and Savior who loves you and a king to whom I am going to give an account. And if I don't stick to this word, I am in serious trouble. And that's true of every single pastor teacher. Wake up. Wake up. Be on the alert. Be discerning. Have a will and a heart to demand the word of God and nothing but the word of God. So as we come now to 2 Peter chapter 2, just the first three verses in remaining time, what are the marks and characteristics of a false teacher? I have 10 for you, and we'll move rather quickly. Maybe we won't get through all of them. Now watch how I do this. I want to, and by the way, what I try to do Sunday by Sunday is, is demonstrate, by and large, what it should look like. It doesn't mean that every pastor has to preach the same exact way, but there is a pattern of given to those New Testament pastor teachers. Paul says to Timothy, preach what? Preach your vision, preach the impulse of your heart, preach your series. One of the things you notice these days is that there's actually a lot of preaching of series, and there's nothing inherently wrong with series, although it's been so abused that you, I, I, I hard, bring myself, hard to bring myself to say we have a series coming up on da-da-da, because what are pastors doing? 
in this series that they're coming up with their own idea of what the church needs, and then they're selecting from this book. If you notice, we just, we just want to read through the book. We just want to read through it, explain it. God determines the series, not a man. Ten characteristics of a false teacher. Number one, contrary to Scripture. Where am I getting that from? In chapter 2, verse 1, the first word. What's the first word? But. Contrary. In other words, contrary to the clarity and the inspiration and fallibility and errancy of God's word, these false prophets and these false teachers do something different. They are opposed to Scripture. They are set over and against Scripture. They may allude to Scripture. They, they always do. If there's a pastor in a professing Christian church, I, I don't know of a case where he's not going to read the Bible at all. Maybe in, the, in some of the extreme liberal Protestant Unitarian churches around us, they'll just read poems. They won't even read the Bible. But in your average modern, straying evangelical church, that guy knows that supposedly we got to read the Bible, so he's going to have a Bible up there, even if it's on the screen or wherever. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But I'm just saying, there'll be allusions to the Scriptures, but you'll notice that actually there's not a lot of explaining of the text in its context. It's a using of the text. It's a picking out of a word or a phrase that supports that false teacher, false pastor's own self-derived message of what he thinks the people need to hear. They're contrary to Scripture. They reference it. They say they're for it. But you learn about their true conviction about Scripture as to how they use it. And by the way, that is how you learn about a man's or woman's true conviction in Scripture. It's not whether they simply ascribe or agree to a conservative, evangelical, uh, confessional statement. Watch how they use the Bible. And you'll find out their conviction. They are contrary to Scripture. Secondly, these false teachers are found among Christ's people. They are found among Christ's people. Peter says, verse 1, there will also be false teachers among you. So again, what am I doing right now? I'm I'm just pointing my finger at verse 1 and saying, you see that? I didn't come up with that. It's what the Holy Spirit says. Um, And so they are among Christ's people. They're not, again, out there somewhere. We should assume that Satan is going to flood us with false teachers. And now in our present age, this is, of course, is real with technology. One of the real challenges of pastoring in this day and age is, is, uh, sadly, sometimes folks give somebody they don't even know off somewhere around the world more of an ear than they do their local pastor. Be careful with that. I'm not saying that. that you, you know, Find a faithful pastor who teaches God's word. Give him a chance to feed you first. But they're among us. They're on the internet. They're in the area. They may even be in our church. They're among us. So, so that should wake us up. Don't assume that they're far off somewhere. You have to be discerning. Thirdly, These false teachers are secretive and deceptive. Peter says they, who these teachers secretly introduce destructive heresies, verse 1. They don't come in, as I said last Sunday, with a a big, you know, sign on them saying false teacher. (laughs) It's not how it works. They're nice. They have a testimony. They um, went to a Bible college or a seminary. They worked at a, another church. Everybody on the search committee asked, what do you think? Oh, yeah, he's really nice. He seems to have a real vision for this church. And Yeah, it's always the way. Um, overt Satanists don't make their way into the evangelical church and <laughs> start teaching messages. It doesn't work that way. So they are secretive and deceptive, They know what they really believe. They know where they really have doubts about God's word. They know where they really differ with the church's doctrinal statement or its heritage. But they don't tell anyone else that. They come into the church. They gain their position of pastor or teacher, wherever it may be. They know what they really believe. 
and they're secretive about it. This is one of the reasons why our church has such an extensive extensive doctrinal statement. Um, And I love it, and I've told many people that's one of the the main reasons why I came to this church uh, almost 13 years ago. It's because it's, it's not a short doctrinal statement. It's, it's multi-page about who God is, about the gospel, about the Bible. It's very detailed. Why? What's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is doctrinal integrity, primarily holding those who teach the word of God to account. So that you know as you come into a church, you're not wondering what your pastor really believes. But if you want to know, you can find out what you're going to be taught here. Doctrinal integrity. Pastors, teachers should have absolutely doctrinal integrity. If you are under the ministry or you're listening to somewhere, a pastor or a teacher or a leader or a visionary who's kind of coy about what he really believes, who's always qualifying things, who's often raising questions about things, who's usually undermining the certainty of truth, you should have a flag and go running. Any biblical, faithful pastor, teacher is going to, ask, you ask him, he's going to tell you exactly what he believes in accordance with God's word. It's not going to be brand new in the history of the Christian church. He's going he's to be eager to let you know what he believes and teaches because nothing is hidden, nothing is secret, everything is out in the open. Fourthly, The teachings of false teachers are destructive heresies. This is so important. You see what Peter says, the Spirit says in verse 1? Secretly introducing destructive heresies. It, It is heartbreaking, but essentially the modern evangelical church doesn't believe there's such a thing as destructive heresies anymore. We don't believe it. It can't be that bad. It's off a little. Maybe the pastor doesn't mention sin as much as he should. Maybe he's thinking that salvation isn't really by faith in Christ crucified, but, but by believing Jesus is your king and coming into the kingdom. That's the teaching vaguely of one modern false teacher, N.T. Wright, that a lot of evangelical pastors have grabbed a hold of. It's a wholesale replacing of the gospel presented in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I delivered to you the gospel according to the scriptures, that Christ lived, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and then on the third day he rose from the dead. The gospel of Christ crucified for sinners. Increasingly, evangelical pastors are ashamed of that old biblical gospel. And so... They hide it, but what's worse is that people who profess faith in Christ, who believed in that gospel for their salvation, somehow are passive about accepting biblical teaching that is not biblical. They somehow think that a church can be subjected to that kind of false teaching week after week, month after month, year after year, and it won't have any real damage How do you think a rainbow flag started flying in most of the liberal congregational churches here in New Hampshire? Is that not destructive? It happened little by little. It's a parting from the word. And a lot of professing Christian people tolerating pastors who were not overt about the word of God and its teaching. These are destructive heresies. The heresies of, and notice, you need to have that word in your vocabulary. There is heresy. Interesting, that word at its root is, is, means choosing. In other words, these false teachers choose their own ideas, their own wills, their own truths. They do not arise out of Scripture. They are self-chosen, not revealed truths foisted upon the professing church. The teachings of the Roman Catholic Church are absolutely destructive, holding entire nations in bondage to a lie of a system of works and penance and going and paying money to 
to see images and relics and praying every single day to Mary instead of going to the Father in the name of the Son, giving obedience to the vicar, the Pope, who is told in the Roman Catholic Catechism, I have read it, puts the authority of the Pope on the same par as the authority of the Word of God. It's destructive. It's not nice. It's not kind. It's not okay. It's not just, well, oh, we all get along. It is destructive heresy. Departing in evangelical churches from the preaching of sin as being disobedience against God, preaching, lacking in preaching about hell, is destructive heresy. These false teachers, fifthly, they deny Christ as revealed in Scripture, chapter 2. He says they secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Go off from Scripture and you'll depart from a true understanding of Christ. And these false teachers, they are marked by false teaching about Christ. They remake Jesus into something other than he is presented in the Scriptures. They take part of the presentation of Jesus in the Bible and they strip away what they don't like. The king part, the Lord part, the holy part, the coming and wrath part. They remake Jesus, a Jesus of their own making. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. They deny Jesus Christ as revealed in Scripture. Six, and closely related, more specifically, false teachers deny Jesus as master, even denying the master In other words, they talk about Jesus as your Savior. They talk about Jesus as who loves you. And this is true. Of course, false teachers always include enough truth to confuse people. Their lies and destructive heresies are mixed in with a mountain of truths. The truth is laced with destruction. And at the heart of it, they deny that Jesus is Lord So no wonder there's godless living. No wonder there's men and women claiming somehow to have an experience with Jesus, and yet they're committing adultery regularly. They're involved in pornography, don't really care about it. They lie, they steal, they cheat. They're mean, they're nasty, they're unkind. They don't really have any of the marks of the fruit of the Spirit, and yet somehow they're Christians. Where'd they get that? Because somewhere along the way, some false teacher presented a gospel to them that is not the biblical gospel. The biblical gospel is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to live to him. We are to obey him. We are his slaves. Peter introduced himself in chapter 1 as the slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. You don't hear about that from these false teachers. Jesus just becomes your enabler, your, your counselor, your psychic your pick-me-up. They strip the Bible of teaching about the majesty of Christ, the glory of Christ, the coming kingdom of Christ. They deny him as master. Seventh, they are self-destructive, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, Peter says. They're just an implosion. In our day, in the past 10 years, we have just seen one after another some of you remember are old enough to remember that, you know, uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye book by Joshua Harris. You know, that was all the rage for like 10 years. And I mean, you know, uh, Joshua Harris denied uh, the faith. He's now no longer walking. Um, Ravi Zacharias was, was just, weren't we shocked and horrified? And so many of you loved him and te- his teaching. And you find out his life was full of adultery and sensuality and, and, um, We've just seen one false teacher exposed after another, self-destruction. Eighth, sensuality and worldliness. They are, brings destruction upon themselves and many will follow their sensuality. So they are marked by sexual sin. It may not be out in the open, it may be hidden, but these false teachers, they're, they're marked by sensuality. There, there is apparently, a, in our day, a, a um, and, and you know this, 
but just a overwhelming pattern of pastors apparently thinking it's okay to view pornography. I understand that if you view pornography regularly in your pastor, you are disqualified from the office, period, done, over. Forgiven, yes. Redeemed, maybe someday, maybe after a period of demonstrable repentance. But today, we're just accepting what is unacceptable. It is not okay for pastors to be engaged in sensuality and sexuality. First pastorate I, I went to in Maine, I don't know if I've ever shared it this bluntly, I was called to that church three months after their former pastor was exposed and found out to be a peeping Tom down at the local J.C. Penney Evangelical church. Had a wife and kids. But you could have seen it if you listened to his teaching. You didn't hear a whole lot about the word. Didn't hear a whole lot about lordship of Christ. You heard a whole lot about visions and movements to renew the church. Purpose-driven church was all the rage then, and he was all into that. Sensual. True teachers are marked by holiness in the area of sexuality. Ninth. Just, sorry, back up. Eight. Sensuality would include not only sexuality, immoral sexuality, but generally just worldliness. And one of the marks of false teachers is they're just in love with this world. They, they just they love the things of the world. If, if you talk to them in private, what they're most excited about is not the things of God or about Christ. It's whatever. It's this, that, or the other thing. And, and things that in and of themselves maybe aren't good, but they just... They're in this world. They, uh, they just don't talk much about God or Christ. They just, they're sensual. They're worldly. Ninth, they cause the truth to be maligned. Many, verse 2, follow their sensuality, and because of this, the way of truth will be maligned. How many millions, millions, maybe billions, but millions of men and women are turned off from the truth of God and the gospel and Christianity because of the immoral conduct of Roman Catholic priests, of evangelical pastors. Many, because of their sensuality, will turn, because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. Even that, notice verse 2, Peter calls the way of the gospel the truth. That's offensive in our age, isn't it? Every other way is a lie. This way is the truth. But it's so true. I grieve most recently in New Hampshire, uh, these series, these locations of next level churches you see all over the place. There was one on 106 in Pembroke. I'm, I'm mentioning names because just so you don't think that this is like theoretical. And the pastor is exposed as a, as this a greedy, power hungry, abusive kind of, I'm not saying sexual abuse. I'm just saying just an egotistic, which you could see if you watched any of his messages and he's exposed, he resigns, his leadership resigns. All of these church extensions all around New Hampshire was at one time up in, uh, written up in, in various newspapers and magazines as one of the largest, fastest-growing churches in the United States. Here in New Hampshire, who knows? And because of his conduct and because of his disqualification, how many hundreds of people around New Hampshire that you and I know may never ever set foot in a church again because now they think that that's what church is like. That's what false teachers do. Tenth and finally, they exploit Christ's people for personal ambition. Verse three, first half of verse three. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They're just using their tongues. They're telling you what you want. Do you see that in Jeremiah 23? One of the marks of false prophets is that 
when the people are walking in sin apart from God, the false teachers, prophets, say, peace, peace. When God says, there's no peace. There are times when God and the Lord Jesus Christ is not at peace with his church. When he wants people to come into church on Sunday morning and actually not feel good. When the Lord Jesus Christ, by his word, actually wants to confront us. And we actually may be going out the doors feeling rather miserable. Because we've been confronted with our sin and the need that we have to repent. And every availability there is for repentance. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we must see our sin and we must confess it as sin. And oh, we don't like that. I really like all of you. I'm thinking here, I don't see anybody I, I don't like. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I hope you know I'm, a, I, I'm generally a nice guy. But if I don't ever offend you, you ought to fire me. Because if I'm doing my job, I'm reading to you the word of God, and I'm sorry, you are going to be offended. You are going to be told you are wrong. You are going to be told you need to change. Now, who has the audacity to tell you that? Well, I certainly don't on my own. But that's the nature of this book. It is, it is as though the living Christ were in front of us speaking to us. And he speaks words of comfort. And that's why I try to bathe you with words of comfort and give you hymns like, Dear Refuge of My Weary Soul. And we have wonderful comfort, but we also need to be corrected, don't we? Pastors, false pastors, they exploit people. They tell you what you want to hear. And the reason they do that is to gain seats, to gain attendance, to gain uh, agreement with their vision, their idea for what the church should be. And it's all about personal ambition. It may be greed. It may be actual money. They're in it for the money. This church is very generous to me in providing for a living, and I am so grateful for that. But before God, I don't want your money. A true pastor wants your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. But these men, they're in it for the vision, for the personal ambition. And they use Christ's sheep for their own selfish purposes, their own greed. What will be the result of this? Judgment. Verse 3. Their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And we'll look at that next Sunday morning in the rest of the chapter. But in closing, dear ones, I want to ask you to pray for me. That God would keep me close to his word. I especially urge you to let it sink in the rest of your life that you listen to the passion and the intensity of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ urging you to take seriously the destructive nature of false teachers to your own faith, to the church, and that you live a life of discernment until you go to be with Christ or he comes for us. And how can we do that? I know many of you already closed your Bibles. That's okay. We do that by sticking to the word made more sure, verse 19. Peter says, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. If you're a teacher or a pastor, you stand up, and you read the Bible to me, and you explain it to me, and if you don't, I'm going elsewhere because there's only one light, and I've been told by my Lord, I'm only allowed to keep my eyes fixed on that true light in this dark place until he comes. Let's pray. Oh God, heavy words this morning. You are warning your people. 
Have mercy on us and keep us close to your word. Have mercy on me and every pastor, teacher who desires to teach your word in truth. Continue, Lord, to expose the false teachers. Empty their churches, I pray, and raise up true pastor teachers and give a hunger for your word. We ask, amen.